0: And so as we come to Jeremiah 30, we do so after we have heard those beautiful words of God to a people that he loved with such a full heart. When he said, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. You see, much of what we will begin to see in chapter 30 and beyond for the next four chapters is that encouragement of comfort and hope. That a people who have been hearing so much about judgment... against their own disobedience are needing to hear and so in verses 1 through 3 before we pray let's read this the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord now please take notice of where the word comes from to whom it comes from and to whom it is given The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus speaks the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write in a book for yourself all the words that I have spoken to you. For behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will bring back from captivity my people Israel and Judah, says the Lord. And I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful to honor you and bless you with our very hearts and our minds and our understanding, Lord. Our desire, Father, is to hear from you and, and to be encouraged by you. Though we want to study your word and, and be certainly very capable and able with your word. We realize that much of what we receive, if not always, is something from you to encourage us, to teach us, to remind us, and to keep us on that path of righteousness. We're thankful, Lord for the goodness of your heart to gather us in this place. May we not take this time for granted, but may we listen to you with with a whole heart, with all that is within us. May we take in, Lord, your truth. May we be encouraged by it. May we be ready, Lord God, to give forth your word when that time comes so that we may give an answer to every man of the hope that lieth within us. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we've now arrived at the fourth major division or section of the book of Jeremiah. And just uh, as a point of review, let's look at the first three major divisions. I want you to see them because I I believe it's important to go back and review and and remember where we've been. But the the first section was really just chapter 1. It was the call of Jeremiah. The second section was the message of warning to Judah that was given by God uh, to Jeremiah to give to his people in chapters 2 through 25. So there was a big long section there of giving this message of warning. And then thirdly, the opposition to God's message and His messenger. And that we've seen in the last few chapters, chapters 26 through 29. And then we arrive now at chapters 30 through 33, which are the messages of comfort and hope to God's people. Now, these chapters in the fourth section of Jeremiah are often called the book of consolation. The book of consolation. Now the word consolation itself comes from a, 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 a another word, a root word that means to console or to comfort. So this is, in fact, chapters 30 through 33, to be a message of comfort to the people of God, the people who are preparing to go into captivity or those who have already gone into captivity. So they're a collection of prophecies that offered hope in desperate times to a people bound for captivity and a people entrenched in captivity. Now these prophecies focused beyond the imminent collapse of Judah. Most believe that the prophecies have come while Babylon is waiting at the very walls of Jerusalem. But of course we know that there would be those who have already been taken to Babylon... From the very first uh, seizure of, of Nebuchadnezzar upon Jerusalem. So, again, these prophecies focus beyond the imminent collapse of Judah, point to a renewed age. They point to a renewed age when Israel and Judah would be returning to their land, or be returned to their land, reunited as a single nation, and restored to their one true God. Now, as we go through these chapters, we will learn that the prophet Jeremiah had two horizons. And you know, most prophets in the Old Testament actually had two horizons to look at. Now, if you were to face two horizons before you, you wouldn't really be able to see the gap between one or the other. And that was always the problem of the prophets. They didn't really know to whom they were giving the message to Fully. They knew that there was one generation, which was their generation, that they were to give forth the prophecies, but they didn't realize that there was another horizon beyond, and that would mean that many of the prophecies we see given to the children of Israel, whether it be to the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom or to both, there was still a future uh, fulfillment. We've called it the near and the far fulfillment when we studied the book of Isaiah. And so as we go through this particular book of Jeremiah, that also happens. So consider that when you look at two horizons, you don't realize that there could be a tremendous gap between the two. Certainly there was a a gap of thousands of years. So keep that in mind as you study the prophets. But uh, as we go through these chapters, we learn that the prophet Jeremiah had these two horizons in sight. And, And the nearer one viewed the return of the Babylonian exiles to Judah, and the farther horizon viewed the regathering of Israel in the end times from all the nations of the earth. So, I find it interesting that the words that uh, which Jeremiah recorded for us in chapter 30, all the way through 30, uh, chapter 31, verse 25, So all of chapter 30 and chapter 31 through verse 25 were actually received while the prophet was asleep. Don't ever think that nothing good happens when you're asleep, other than the fact that you rejuvenate your body. In many cases, uh, God uses that time to deliver uh, his prophecies to his prophets. For example, look at verse 26, the verse immediately following The portion of scripture I was telling you about. It says, After this I awoke and looked looked around and my sleep was sweet to me. So he's saying, I received this prophecy while I was asleep. And the Lord granted it to me as a dream, actually. And yet, you know, what God also gave him was the ability to remember the fullness of the prophecy through the dream. But this kind of communication through dreams was an occasional occurrence. Not always, but it did happen as we see in in both uh, Daniel and Zechariah. Because these prophets experienced that particular occurrence as well. For example, Daniel Daniel chapter 10, verse 9, where he says, Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. So the Lord was again speaking to Daniel in a dream, and uh, while he was asleep, he was receiving this particular prophecy. Zechariah as well speaks of this happening in chapter 4, verse 1 of Zechariah. Now the angel who talked with me came back and wakened me as a man who is awakened out of his sleep. So, this is just uh, kind of uh, some information about how God oftentimes speaks to his prophets. That didn't mean that the prophets always slept. Just thought I'd let you know that. They were quite awake in many cases. But as we've read in the first three verses of chapter 30, the Lord instructed Jeremiah to write his words in a scroll, or as it says in our text, in a book. But in reality, it would have been a scroll, so that the nation would have a permanent record of the promises that the Lord was giving to the people. You see, if Jeremiah's prophecies concerning the Babylonian captivity came true, and remember, there were those who were challenging Jeremiah. There were those who were saying, well, no, no, you know, we're, not going to be in, we're not going to be in Babylon more than two years and we're going to come back. No. Jeremiah said, you're going to be there seven years. And so there were those who were opposing that. So you see, if Jeremiah's prophecies concerning the Babylonian captivity came true, what about his prophecies that are still yet future? If all of the earlier ones are all true, then whatever he says about that which is to come is also going to be true that's why the lord wanted him to record these prophecies and what it tells us is that you can count upon god's word you can count on god's word i believe time and time and time again as you study god's word and as you look at what's going on in the world today if you really are a student of prophecy and of of the end times you're going to realize that many prophecies are coming true have come true and some are setting up for coming true in the future. And it's telling us, you know, that God's word is, 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 is ever faithful. Why we doubt it, I don't know. We can't always say that everything is, is, is happenstance. Everything is just, well, circumstantially it just happens. The reliability of the prophecies in the past point to the reliability of God's word now so i can tell you this that if you look if you look back in history you realize that the children of israel actually the children of judah from the southern kingdom were taken to babylon and they remained there for 70 years 70 years many of them returned of course there were a few that stayed But many of them returned. The majority of them did. They came in different times and different waves, but they came back. Why? Because God said they would. So all of those things, if they happen then, that means that what God says is going to happen again in the future, we can rely upon that. So up to this point then, let's look at the history of what's taking place at this time. Up to this point, the northern kingdom of Israel had been in captivity for over a hundred years. That is, the the northern kingdoms where there were no good kings of Israel, they had all gone really to Samaria and to that area, uh, and and just gone away from the Lord, and of course the Lord took them into captivity uh, through the Assyrian uh, army. So the northern kingdom had been in captivity uh, for over a hundred years, and when the Babylonians defeated the Assyrians, those captives from Israel would be assimilated into the Babylonian captivity. So in a way these captivities, the Assyrian captivity was, which was the first and the, uh, uh, the Babylonian captivity because Babylon took over Assyria you know that would bring God's people both northern and southern kingdoms back together or at least the workings of that was taking place. Many people in the southern kingdom of Judah had already been taken into captivity Daniel and uh, Ezekiel being two of the more prominent ones. And God is speaking to His people, telling them that He has not forsaken them. This is another important thing. There are some people today who said that God has forsaken His people Israel. God has not forsaken His people Israel. He is saying by these prophecies that He has not forsaken them, that His thoughts for them are good, that He was going to return them back into the land once again. So we cannot dis, you know, uh, discard what has already been said to us in chapter 29 and say, well, it's, you know, we, we have to uh, just throw away that thought. No. As a matter of fact, that's the basis for these comfort and hopeful, uh, comforting and hope, uh, hopeful uh, prophecies in chapters 30 through 33. Now, there was a short-term partial fulfillment when they returned home from Babylon. A short-term partial fulfillment when the children of Judah returned from Babylon. But as we're going to see, there is a long-term complete fulfillment that is also spoken of. Now remember that in 70 AD, now this is after Jesus uh, has died, risen again, ascended into heaven. A few years later, almost 40 years later. In 70 A.D., the Jews were scattered throughout the world by the Romans. But then, on May the 14th, 1948, we talk about this a lot, but on May the 14th, 1948, they returned to the land once again, becoming the state of Israel. By God's hand. By God's will. Something that a lot of people thought would never happen. And then even if they thought, well, okay, this is just a happenstance, they're in the land, but all these Arab nations are going to destroy them the next day, which was what they tried to do. And since then, as I talked about last week, since 1948, Israel has been fighting for their existence. And they're still there throughout all the wars that have taken place. The war that took place immediately after their, their being proclaimed a nation in 1948, 1956, 1969, and 1973, every time God's hand has been upon this nation. Because if you put the numbers together and all of the armament against Israel, you would think that they would have been wiped out. Why are they still here? Because they're God's people. And God said, they're mine. I'm going to bring them back into the land. I'm going to fulfill what I have promised to them from the very beginning. Because you see, God's faithful. Even when we are faithless, Paul says, God remains faithful. So they became the state of Israel, and now during the reign of the Antichrist, which we're going to talk a little bit about in the next few weeks. Is there an Antichrist? Well, the Bible talks about an Antichrist. The Bible talks about an Antichrist spirit, and it talks about an Antichrist person. That person could be representing even... A certain confederation of nations. We're going to get into all of that in the next couple of weeks. But if you've done your research and your reading and your studying, during the reign of the Antichrist, they will be scattered once again. But when the Messiah comes to set up his kingdom, when he comes to set up his kingdom here on earth, he will bring them back into the land fully. Never to be removed or scattered again. But let me tell you that that particular scattering is not going to be like all the other scatterings where they went into all the other parts of the world. We're going to read uh, at, uh, in some of the prophecies that Jesus gives us that they're going to scatter into into Petra, which is you know, Jordan, and and so on. So it's not it's just it's just kind of a scattering away, but not a complete scattering as before. Not not a. Um, Not a diaspora, but but just a small scattering. So now with that in mind, let's get into our study in verses 4 through 7. It says, Now these are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. For thus says the Lord, We have heard a voice of trembling, of fear and not of peace. Stop and think. We have heard a voice of trembling, of fear and not of peace. Can anyone say that anywhere in the world today... There is some great sense of peace, whether it be in a small area or or not. I think we would all agree that as we look at the news worldwide, as we look at it globally, we realize there's really not a lot of peace anywhere. And that's not just uh, saying that there are nations against nations going against each other. There are nations against each other in war. There's a lot of of, uh, unrest when a nation is collapsing from within. When a nation collapses from within because of of its economy and its financial uh, situations. There's no peace. Who can say that there's peace in the United States today as we're dealing with the economic crisis? Not much. So you don't need war to say that there is... No peace. So think again. For thus says the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask now and see whether a man is even in labor with child. That's a funny picture, isn't it? That is a funny picture. Thinking, well, you know, some guy thinking that he might be pregnant. And it would look funny for that man to be holding, you know, his belly, so to speak and say, oh, I've got these labor pains. Funny picture, but not funny ha-ha. So why do I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labor, and all faces turn pale? I can, I can tell you this, that only you ladies that are here that have had children, and you've gone for childbirth, you know what this is talking about you know it was painful especially the first it's a painful process alas for that great day so that none is like it and it is a time of Jacob's trouble but he shall be saved out of it so before we get to the promises of comfort and joy there is a need in the prophecies to lay down the bad news so to speak The Lord had shown Jeremiah that in the future, specifically in the last days, there would be a terrifying judgment upon the nations of the world and a day of tribulation and natural, I should say, a national distress for Israel. A day of tribulation, a a, a day of judgment on the world, a day of tribulation and national distress for Israel. As it says in verse 5, a voice of fear and not of peace. A voice of fear and not of peace. The coming calamity would be so dire, so dreadful, so terrifying, that there would be no day like it in comparison. Now there may have been some days similar to that, but no day like the day that is to come, when that is going to take place in our near future. So it is still a coming calamity. It is going to be a time of great terror and unrest. To some degree, that may have been the way it was in the nearer fulfillment, but not as much as it will be when it happens later. So a time of great terror and unrest was coming. Men would behave as though they were the ones in labor. They would hold themselves in pain as women do when they're about to give birth. But I want you to consider how many times Jeremiah uses this analogy. He doesn't use it just once. We've already covered a couple of them. A few of them. For example, Jeremiah 4, verse 31. For I have heard a voice as a wo- of a woman in labor, the anguish as of her who brings forth her first child, the voice of the daughter of Zion, bewailing herself. She spreads her hands, saying, Woe is me for, uh, now, for my soul is weary because of the murderers. Jeremiah 6.24, we have heard the report of it. Our hands grow feeble, anguish has taken hold of us, pain as of a woman in labor. Jeremiah 13, verse 21. What will you say when he punishes you? For you have taught them to be chieftains, to be head over you. Will not pangs seize you like a woman in labor? Jeremiah 22.23, O inhabitant of Lebanon, making your nest in the cedars, how gracious will you be when pangs come upon you, like the pain of a woman in labor. Later on, Jeremiah 49, verse 24, Damascus has grown feeble. She turns to flee, and fear has seized her. Anguish and sorrows have taken her like a woman in labor. Time and time again, Jeremiah 50, verse 43. The king of Babylon has heard the report about them, and his, hand, and his hands grow feeble. Anguish has taken hold of him, pangs as of a woman in childbirth. So it's not, it's not specific, uh, specifically given to the children of Israel as, as it is given to all the people who are going to have to deal with some judgment of some sort. Even the king of Babylon is going to have to deal with pangs as of a woman in childbirth. Painful. And giving birth to something else, and and giving birth to something that is to come. Especially if there has been unbelief, if there has been disobedience, if there has been rebellion toward God. So when you think of this example that Jeremiah uses all these many times, and he's not the only one, it was certainly a picture of powerlessness and panic. Powerlessness and panic. As soon as you find yourself in the pain of, uh, in the pangs of, 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 of uh, like a woman in childbirth, it's powerlessness. And it is, a, it is a deep-rooted panic in the heart about the fact that you cannot control what is to come. But then again, a time was coming that would be worse than Jacob or Israel as a whole had ever or whatever experience. Remember verse 7 of our text says, Alas, for that great, for that day is great, so that none is like it, and it is the time of Jacob's trouble. It is the time of Jacob's trouble. Now it does say that he shall be saved out of it, but we can't just go flippantly through that without realizing that there is some necessity in understanding what that time of Jacob's trouble is. So this time was coming that would be worse than Jacob had ever or would ever experience. And Jacob, by the way, is Israel as a whole. It's all of Israel going to have to deal with this time of trouble. So to what time of trouble was Jeremiah referring? What time of trouble? It is believed now by some biblical commentators and scholars that, that Jeremiah was pointing to the coming fall of Judah to Babylon that's one event or to the later fall of Babylon to meet Persia that's another event but uh, the problem with that is that the northern kingdom of Israel was not affected by either of those periods or events so that kind of throws that idea or those ideas out the window you see north the northern kingdom of Israel had been in captivity since 722 B.C. So it's far better to see that Jeremiah was referring to the still uh, future tribulation or the still future tribulation period when the remnant of Israel and Judah will experience a time of unparalleled persecution. So a time the time of Jacob's trouble is a time of persecution. It is a time of persecution that is going to come upon them as part of and we need to understand this as part of the discipline and the chastisement that is supposed to come upon them before the Lord delivers them. Take, for example, Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. In Daniel 9, verse 27, it says, "...and he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week." This is speaking of the Antichrist, again. "...he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week." That is not seven days. It is a week of years." When you study the book of Daniel, you realize this is what the text says in the Hebrew. It is a week of years, which means it would be seven years. So it is a seven-year period that it is talking about here in the book of Daniel. When we consider the time of Jacob's trouble, you can either consider that as being the seven-year period of tribulation, or the last half of that seven-year period being what is called the Great Tribulation, a a three-and-a-half-year period, which is just half of of the seven years. We'll talk about that in a moment, but here it says, and he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week, so at the end of three and a half years, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. What are the Jews wanting to see in Israel today, especially in Jerusalem? They're wanting to see the temple built once again. They want the temple built where it was supposedly where it was supposed to be standing always, where the Temple Mount is today, there is a Muslim mosque. Somehow, at some point in time in the near future, something's going to happen to have the temple up again. Because we're so much closer now than it was back in Paul's time, back in Daniel's time, back in Jeremiah's time that for this to come true we're going to have to see that that is is going to happen well there is a temple institute in Jerusalem today that have made all of the they have made all of the uh, the vessels that are to be used in the sacrifices once again because they truly believe that God is going to allow them to build the temple once again on the temple mount how they're going to do it we don't know that's in God's hands but anyway when there's finally a covenant to allow the Jews to build the temple, the covenant is made for one week in the seven year period. But in the middle of that period of time, he's going to bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations, now listen carefully to the wording, on the wing of abominations, in other words, very detestable things, on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, And again, we can attribute this particular thought to a person that could be called the Antichrist. Even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. The consummation being everything, you know, is is summed up, everything is brought to its final end by God and is poured out on the desolation. So, to make more sense of that thought... We're going to read Matthew 24 in just a moment. But Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, as we're just moving along here from Daniel, it says, At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble. So now we relate this time of trouble to the time of trouble, uh, of Jacob's trouble in Jeremiah 30. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, so there is the promise of deliverance. your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. Now Jesus brings us the sense of what Daniel said in daniel chapter nine verse twenty seven when we 're told in verse fifteen of daniel twenty i 'm sorry matthew twenty four uh, verse fifteen therefore, when you see The abomination of desolation. What did we read in Daniel 9? On the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate. So it is the same thought. Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Can I tell you, first of all, what, what Jesus is doing when he says this? He is affirming that there was a Daniel, that he was a prophet, and that his prophecy was true and would become true that's what Jesus is affirming in this particular passage when you see the abomination the, the, the greatest of detestable things the abomination of desolation that which makes completely desolate and empty spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place that is when the antichrist when the most detestable of people stands in the holy place in the temple and then he says whoever reads let him understand those of you that were here on Sunday remember the importance of understanding whoever reads let him understand then let those who are in Judea who's he speaking of? is he speaking to us here in the United States? he's speaking to those who live in Judea where is that? that's the southern part of Israel let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down. By the way, does any, do any of you live on your housetop? No. But if you go to Israel, what do you see? You see people who live on their housetops. So that's still, that's still uh, happening today. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. In other words, when this starts to happen, let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. How hard it's going to be for those who are with child at that time. And it says, and pray that your flight may be in winter or or on the Sabbath. Why? Tough times to travel. Plus, as Jews who keep the Sabbath, you can't travel very far. For then there will be great tribulation. Remember, these are the words of Jesus. For there will be great tribulation. Jesus is affirming the prophecies of Jeremiah and Daniel. For there will be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. I I want to talk about this later, but it's, it's even greater and worse than the Holocaust. You got the picture? You have to understand that. Even worse, I'll explain it in a moment. And unless those days were shortened, and of course we know that God has a timetable, so there is a shortening of days, but unless there was, uh, those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. That's how terrible the tribulation of the end times will be. So let me say now, I don't want any of you to go through any time of tribulation. I want you to come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I don't want you to play games with God, I don't want you to play games with Jesus. He died, He shed His blood for the forgiveness of our sins. He paid the ultimate price for us so that we will not have to go through this kind of tribulation that's the reality here for us now unless those days were short no flesh would be saved but for the elect's sake those days will be short thank God now one thing we need to remember is that the great tribulation As I've already stated, the great tribulation does not begin until the Antichrist goes into the rebuilt temple and demands to be worshipped as God. There was a forerunner to him, his name was Antiochus Epiphanes, who went into the temple back in the days of the Maccabees. This is the history of of the Jews in between the uh, Testaments. So in the intertestamental period, uh, and you can read about them in the books of Maccabees, but uh, we don't have them in our Bible, but you can get a copy of them. They, they're found in the Apocrypha, uh, which is extra books. We we don't count them as canon of Scripture, but that particular book or those books are historic, so they you can read those. But uh, it was this man who went in to be, uh, you know, to desecrate the temple, which was uh, not to be desecrated. It was a, a holy place especially the holiest, of play, uh, the holiest of holies and there he took a, 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 a pig and he sacrificed a pig on the altar of course this, uh, this raised up the, uh, the Maccabees to lead a revolt against, uh, against his leadership and of course they, uh, they won and this is where the, uh, the feast of uh, Hanukkah will come from I don't have time to go through all of that many of you already know that in any event, uh, now that's just a forerunner of all of what we're seeing that's going to take place. The Antichrist goes into the rebuilt temple, demands to be worshipped as God. Thus, the tribulation period is, is the last seven-year period of time, as we will know it. And the last three and a half years of that period is known as the great tribulation or the time of Jacob's trouble. But it's not to say that the first three and a half years are going to be easier. Well, they will be easier But any tribulation is is hard. So it's it's the full tribulation period. It's just that great tribulation of the last three and a half years that becomes the greater part of the the time of Jacob's trouble. So in a moment we'll we'll talk about another designation for this time period, and that is the day of the Lord. But it's necessary to note that throughout the Old Testament, as well as the book of Revelation, and we won't get to the revelation passages tonight. But nonetheless, we'll we'll get there soon enough. But uh, it's necessary to note that there are verses that speak in anticipation of Israel suffering more greatly than they ever have or ever will. Even greater, as I said before, uh, uh, than the atrocities committed by Hitler in the extermination of six million Jews. And I want you to turn to Zechariah 13 so we can see this. Zechariah chapter, uh, chapter 13 verses 7 through 9. So you'll get a picture of what, uh, what the Lord is saying about what's, what's yet to come. This is why if we do not have peace with Jesus Christ tonight, we need to have peace with God before we leave here today. While you're turning, are you still turning to Zechariah 13? I want you to do that. I want to hear Bible pages turning. While you're turning there, I just want to tell you that the Bible never says, tomorrow's the day of salvation. Anybody ever seen that in your Bibles? Manana? Manana, manana. It never says tomorrow is the day of salvation. It says today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, today. Zechariah 13, you there? Look at verse 7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. Now if you have the New King James Version, you'll notice they've capitalized my shepherd for us. To to show us that this is speaking of the Messiah. Speaking of Jesus. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion, says the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. Then I will turn my hand against the little ones. Now remember that Jesus is the Messiah of Israel. He is the Messiah of Israel. When you read prophecies like the book of Ezekiel, you realize that they are sheep without without a shepherd. Shepherds were supposed to be watchmen, they weren't being watchmen. Even Jesus, when he came on the scene looked at the religious leaders and he says, you know, these people are sheep without a shepherd. He was the shepherd of his sheep. So it says, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered, then I will turn my hand against the little ones. And it shall come to pass in all the land, says the Lord. Listen. That two-thirds in it shall be cut off and die. I want you to get the math here. Two-thirds shall be cut off and die, but one-third shall be left in it. I will bring the one-third through the fire. We'll refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say, this is my people and each one will say, the Lord is my God. Did you get the math? Two-thirds will be cut off and die. One-third will remain. Two-thirds, one-third. Now, after the Holocaust, between the time of the Holocaust and, of course, the the creation and the regathering of the people for the creation of the state of Israel, when the Jews returned to their land, do you know what their cry was? Two words, never again. Never again. What happened to us in those days will never happen again. They were and have been determined that they will never again allow such things to happen to them. But as we have just read in Zechariah chapter 13, and there, there, there is some uh, uh, confirmation of that in the book of Revelation, but uh, as, we, as, we, as we've just read here in this prophecy, there is coming a persecution that will be so intense, because it is pointing to the end time. There is a persecution that is coming that is going to be so intense brought on by the Antichrist against the Jews that two-thirds of the Jewish population will be destroyed. Now, think about that for just a moment. Two-thirds, one-third. Right now, it is estimated that there are about 15 million Jews living in this world. Fifteen million Jews in the world which would mean how many would be destroyed? Ten million How many were killed in the Holocaust? Six million. It's even worse. And the pain, you see, now get the picture here, the pain will be like a woman in labor. It is out of all of that that we see God bringing, or birthing, I should say, the kingdom age. It is all of the, out of that. It's painful to read, folks. Because we always say, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the Jewish people that they would come to know their Messiah before Jesus, of, before Jesus comes. What a blessing it is when we know of Jewish people who come to Jesus Christ. What a blessing they become when they realize that Jesus is their Messiah, their anointed one. How will they hear without a preacher because faith cometh by hearing hearing by the word of God be careful of those who tell you we don't need we don't need to uh, 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 evangelize the Jews God's going to take care of them folks Paul didn't say that did he Paul told us who, Paul who was a Jew tells us what what we need to do we need to let people know that Jesus is the Messiah and most importantly that the Jews know that so before they before that comes they, they will have to go before that Kingdom age comes, they will have to go through this time called Jacob's trouble. But then again, the world will go through that period at the same time, the period that is known as the day of the Lord. Now, let me make a distinction. The day of the Lord is not the same as the day of Christ. Oftentimes, you hear me say, and even in prayer, we look for the day of Christ the day of Christ is the day that Jesus will come for his church that's a day that all Christians should be looking forward to the day that Jesus comes for his church but the day of the Lord is not the same day the day of Christ will come first and then comes the day of the Lord now, things are moving along to bring about the day of the Lord now. Consider the anti-Semitism that's taking place today. Those are signs that the, uh, the end is near. More and more is uh, we're seeing a, a hatred of the Jewish people. More and more we realize that much of the terrorism that is going on today and has been going on for a long time, but especially heightened by by September the 11th, 2001. When you hear the imams and all of the the Muslim leaders in mosques and, and, and on the internet and in one form or another saying, Death to Israel, death to America. They hate the Jews more than ever. We see the signs of what's going on and what's, what, what's coming here in the, in the future because of the hatred of Jesus Christ. The hatred of Christianity. The hatred of the Bible. The hatred of moral things. The hatred of the Ten Commandments. And I'm just talking about the United States of America. Not to mention that it's worse all around the world against Christ and His people. Christians, we need to be awake and aware of this. We can't be like the proverbial ostrich with his head in the sand. Do you remember that much of what we've studied in the last... Ten chapters of the book of Jeremiah is God saying, don't think that you're safe just because you say you're in the land of Israel. Don't think you're safe because you live in the United States of America. When you have many little minorities raising a stink about one issue or another and getting their way to the extent that now we have to live in a a PC sort of world we have to be politically correct or we're going to offend somebody and then we have to take sensitivity training how come they're not sensitive to our love for Christ is there anything wrong with that so it's it's a mixed up world isn't it it's about time we as Christians stand for what is right and stand for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ And even though it's going to be attacked, and it is being attacked right now, I'd rather stand for truth than for a lie. I think we all need to stand for the truth. Eventually, always, folks, eventually and always, the truth wins out. Jesus died, but the truth won out. He rose again on the third day. You see truth always is victorious. Let's look at uh, Jeremiah 46 verse 10. Because I want I want you to be aware of what the day of the Lord is all about. Jeremiah 46 verse 10 says for this is the day of the Lord God of hosts. So we're get get ready for the definition here. This is the day of the Lord God of hosts, a day of vengeance that he may avenge himself on his adversaries the sword shall devour it shall be satiated and made drunk with their blood for the Lord God of hosts has a sacrifice in the north country by the river Euphrates by the way is there a river Euphrates still today? those of you who have been to Iraq know that there is I'm looking around because I know there's somebody here who's been there who's been there? anybody? Iraq? a couple of you? Is is there a river there called the Euphrates? It's still there, isn't it? Wow, this was written how many thousands of years before? Can you say that we're starting to bring the prophecies into light? Turn to Isaiah chapter 2. Go back to Isaiah chapter 2. I'm apologizing now that I put a little throat lozenge in my, in my mouth because my throat's getting a little dry and, and it's been hurt a little bit. And I just want to apologize if I start sounding like uh, Sylvester, the, you know, the cat. You know. Um, none of you are close enough to worry about. It. Um, I'm not Gallagher. Isaiah 2, verse 12. For the day of the Lord of hosts shall come upon everything proud and lofty, What is Jesus all about? Meek, meekness and humility, right? The day of the Lord of hosts shall come upon everything proud and lofty, upon everything lifted up, and it shall be brought low upon all the cedars of Lebanon that are high and lifted up. Who's in Lebanon today? Hezbollah is in Lebanon today. Remember that. Upon all the cedars of Lebanon that are high and lifted up, and upon the oaks of Bashan, upon all the high mountains, upon all the hills that are lifted up, upon every high tower, upon every fortified wall, upon all the ships of Tarshish, upon all the beautiful sloops, the loftiness of man shall be bowed down, and the haughtiness of men shall be brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. What is the current religion of almost all the world? It is humanism. If you put aside just religious thought for just a moment, the religion of the world is humanism. Isaiah 13, verses 6-9. through 9. I've got a lot to do here and I don't have a whole lot of time. Isaiah 13, verses 6-9, Wail, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore all hands will be limp. Every man's heart will melt, and they will be afraid. Pangs and sorrows will take hold of them. The pangs always means the the same pains of of, a woman in, in childbirth. They will be in pain as a woman in childbirth. Well, there it is. They will be amazed at one another. Their faces will be like flames. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel, with both wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and He will destroy its sinners from it. Isaiah 34. I'm going to give you a lot of references, a lot of verses tonight. So, uh, you know, just take the references down. You can look them up later. Isaiah 34, verses 1 through 4. Come near you nations to hear and heed you people. Let the earth hear and all that is in it, the world and all things that come forth from it. For the indignation of the Lord is against all nations and His fury against all their armies. He has utterly destroyed them. He has given them over to the slaughter. Also their slain shall be thrown out. Their stench shall rise from their corpses and the mountains shall be melted with their blood. All the hosts of heaven shall be dissolved and the heavens shall be rolled up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fall down as the leaf falls from the vine and as fruit falling from a fig tree. This is the day of the Lord. Ezekiel 30 verses 1 through 3, The word of the Lord came to me again, saying, Son of man, prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord God, Wail, woe to the day! For the day is near. What day? Even the day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of clouds, the time of the Gentiles. Joel chapter 1 verse 15, Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as destruction from the Almighty. Joel 2, verses 1 and 2. Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. Now notice what it is. Verse 2. A day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. A people come great and strong, the like of whom has never been, nor will there ever be any such after them, even from, for many successive generations. Jump down to verse 11 of Joel chapter 2. The Lord gives voice before his army, for his camp is very great. For for strong is the one who executes his word, for the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? Amos 5, verse 18. Woe to to you who desire the day of the Lord. You know what? Don't desire the day of the Lord. You know why? Look at what it says. For what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. If you look at verse 20, it says, Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? Is it not very dark with no brightness in it? And the list could go on and on and on. I I just wanted to read you some of the major verses that deal with the day of the Lord. It could go on and on because there is another phrase to describe the same day. And that is found in the next verse of our text. So go back to Jeremiah 30 verse 8 and notice what that phrase is. It says, for it shall come to pass in that day. So many times when you look at, uh, let's say... uh, concordance uh, on your computer and you you type in that day and you find all of these references it's talking about the day of the lord for it shall come to pass in that day says the lord of hosts that i will break his yoke from your neck now he's speaking of course to israel he's going to break the yoke of, of slavery from their neck and will burst your bonds foreigners shall no more enslave them So, in that day also refers to the day of the Lord, but its usage tends towards Israel's better outcome. In other words, when God comes to deliver them, the day of the Lord or in that day is more or less referring to the fact that that's the day I'm also going to deliver you. So again, the day of the Lord is not a day, it is a period of time. And uh, it's going to be done by God's vindication. God is going to vindicate Israel. And He's going to bring forth His judgment upon the nations. Isaiah 4 verse 2. In that day the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing for those of Israel who have escaped. So again, it's dealing with how God is going to bring deliverance to His people. Isaiah 10 verse 20. And it shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel and such as have escaped of the house of Jacob will never again depend on him who defeated them, but will depend on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. Isaiah 10:27. It shall come to pass in that day that his burden will be taken away from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck, and the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing oil. Isaiah 11, verses 10 and 11. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse. Folks, who is the root of Jesse? Jesus Christ. In that day there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people who are left. From Assyria and Egypt, from Pathros and Cush, from Elam and Shinar, from Hamath and the islands of the sea. And of course the day of the Lord is not, like I said, a single day, but a time encompassed by the tribulation period. And this reminds us that Israel has to be the key that unlocks the truths of prophecy. Israel has to be the key that unlocks the truths of prophecy. Israel is at the center of and the reason for all Bible prophecy. Israel is indeed the epicenter of all prophetic themes, spiritually and geographically. Just in the, in the scriptures that we have dealt with tonight, there's no other place to put the center of prophecy than right smack in Jerusalem the very heart of Israel so now go back to verses 7 through 9 of our text we're almost done I think alas it says for that day is great what day would that be it's the time of Jacob's trouble It is the day of the Lord. For alas, that day is great, so that none is like it. And it is a time of Jacob's trouble. But he shall be saved out of it. Now, stop right there. But he shall be saved out of it. We can rest assured that God will deliver Israel. Now notice what it goes on to say. For it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from your neck and will burst your bonds. Foreigners shall no more enslave them, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. While we know that the person of Jacob experienced many extreme distresses in his life, he was also blessed with a new name and a great promise. First of all, in Genesis thirty two, verse twenty eight it says, And he said, Your name shall be no longer shall no longer be called Jacob but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. In Genesis thirty five, verses nine through fifteen, God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob, your name shall not be called Jacob anymore. But Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. Also God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you, and kings shall come from your body. The land which I gave Abraham and Isaac I give to you. Now here's the important thing. The land which I gave Abraham and Isaac I give to you. It is not just that little strip of land we call Israel today. It is all of the boundaries that God had given to them that go all the way to the river Euphrates, all the way down toward Egypt. And he says, and to your descendants after you I give this land. Then God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. So Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, a pillar of stone. And he poured a drink offering on it and he poured oil on it. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spoke with him Bethel, which means house. So since the time of their captivity, there has not been a descendant of David upon the throne of Israel. Therefore the reference in verse 9 of our text is to the son of David, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who will rule and reign in the kingdom age following the Tribulation. Ezekiel 34 uh, verses 23 and 24 say I will establish one shepherd over them and he shall feed them my servant David he shall feed them and be their shepherd and I the Lord will be their God and my servant David a prince among them I the Lord have spoken you see it tells us in Isaiah that Jesus one of Jesus names is Messiah is Prince of Peace. Ezekiel 37, verses 24 and 25. David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. Then they shall dwell in the land that I have given to Jacob, my servant, where your fathers dwelt. And they shall dwell there, they, their children, their children's children, forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. That prince is the prince of peace. Jesus Christ. Hosea 3 verse 5 says, Afterward the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. That king is the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. Lastly, there is God's promise of deliverance, both physically and spiritually. And I leave you with these words in Zechariah chapter 12 verse 10. I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication then they will look on me whom they pierced yes they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn and if you jump to zechariah 13 verse 1 in that day a fountain shall be opened for the house of david and for the inhabitants of jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness there is a fountain there is a fountain it's filled with the blood of Christ to cleanse us from all sin that fountain is available for you today so that the horrors of the time of Jacob's trouble and the horrors of the day of the Lord shall never be felt come to Jesus let him be your king your ruler your prince of peace your God your savior and your deliverer and your Lord let's pray